just talking to people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's conversations, you know, and I'm good at that. You know, I have a natural gift from God to be able to communicate with people and relate to people. Um, and I learned so much from talking to people. The best thing that I ever learned in life is if you listen more than you speak, you'll always be able to understand somebody. And one thing that I learned is that we are much more alike than we are different. We just make that more complicated. Yo, yo, yo. Everybody, welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast episode number, what number we on? This is seven, episode episode number seven. Um, first and foremost, I want to say thank you all to everybody who's been supporting me. You know, the first, uh, the, four, the first four episodes are out uh, right now on YouTube as well as on um, audio versions available on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Um, thank you for everybody who's been hitting me up, telling me that they enjoyed it. Thank you to all the guests who been come, you know, who came and sat down with me. I want to just say thank y'all for everything. Today we have another, you know, another guest, somebody who means, uh, who is very important to me, somebody who's helped me a lot, uh, somebody who's taught me, um, and I'm very interested into this. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this this conversation because I know it's going to be a lot of jewels, a lot of gems in this conversation that a lot of people going to be able to benefit from. Um, and be able to learn some stuff that I've learned, you know, um, in my time dealing with this person. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and read a little introduction of, of who, who, who we got, who, you know, saying who we got in our guest today. Um, we have um, his name is Marlon Jones. Um, he is a father. He's an underwriter uh, for a bank where he works on providing personal loans and personal lines of credit. And he's also a real estate investor, um, not to mention he's a father. He's a husband as well. Um, and he is like one of my biggest mentors in the real estate investing space. Um, I would not even know what real estate investing was if it wasn't for this dude. So without further ado, Marlon, man, thanks. Thanks for coming on, bro. I really appreciate you, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me, man. This is an honor for real. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So what we what we gonna do, man, the way that we uh the way that we do it is, you know, I get into people's stories a little bit. Um, and I wanna really be able to like highlight real estate as a whole you know what i'm right. saying what that looks like you know what i'm saying to really be able to educate people and who else would i do that with outside of you my um, god so before we even get into the real estate space mm -hmm. um we're gonna start at the beginning you know what i'm saying you're right here from the city tell me what life was like for you little marlin as a kid what do you remember being being a kid in this city the time frame like what was what was going on what do you really remember what was a vibrant time exciting time going on for you during that time uh, i'm an 80s baby uh 90s raised me so okay. you know okay. during that era it was crazy you know just seeing everything that was going on in the city but i had a good family growing up so it's one of those things where my, my parents kept me out the way but at the same time i still got to see a little bit of everything and you know Sometimes yeah. probably more than I wanted to see. Right, that's a fact. That's a fact. <clears throat> like, like many of us. Um, what's funny is, man, my earliest memory of you, you know what I'm saying, per se, was I had we had just moved out to Copley. I was in the fifth grade and I remember I cannot think of dude's name who used to do the, the announcements over the uh over the thing. I think it was Mr. Fry, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, he was the coldest with the announcements and he used to come on and do like all these sports, you know what I'm saying, run down to the day before all the games and stuff. And I used to hear Marlon Jones, Marlon Jones. I'm like, man, who is this? Like crazy stats, scoring crazy assists. I'm like, man, I don't know who this dude is. Yeah. But he used to go crazy on you, you know what I'm saying, and repping, you know what I'm saying, how crazy you was on the hoop side. Yep. Um, and that was like my earliest introduction to knowing who you were. And later we would find out that like we had similar ties, similar, you know what I'm saying, family, and we turned out to, you know, really be family, establish yep. our relationship. Yep. But that was like some of my earliest That's memories dope. of you, you know what I'm saying? So like tell me. 
you know, what that was like for you, you know, having them early, you know, um, hoop dreams, like a lot of us, man, you know what I'm saying, really wanting to be a, a athlete. Man, really, for real, like, I feel like the level of so focus that I picked up in life, it came from basketball, you mm-hmm. know, the desire to want to win, uh, achieve, and just, you know, success. Like, I think that that cross applies to any field, you know, and you first pick up those things in sports, you yeah. know, so, yeah, but my first love was definitely Spalding, you know, yeah, but... Yeah. Hey, like most of us, that's not named LeBron. I ain't make it to the league, so I had to focus on something else. Right, that's a fact. I, li- I like what you said, though. You know what I'm saying? You you picked up principles and, vi- and values Absolutely. that you learned, you know what I'm saying, from playing sports. That was that was big for me. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Um, a lot of us, man, you know, family wasn't always perfect. You know what I'm saying? Some right. of the stuff that we missed at home, right. we gained that, you know what I'm saying? At practice. At practice, whether yep. that be on the court, the football field, wherever. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And I definitely... A lot of things in life for me today, I still apply the principles to basketball. Like, you know what I'm saying? I see I see and talk to people today. I'm like, man, I learn from sports. You know, I, I equate a lot of different things to sports. So I definitely, oh, you know sure. what I'm saying? I mean, even you look at it like from a job standpoint, you always got that co- co-worker where you look at him, you be like, this dude must not have never played a, a sport. That's You're a not fact. a team player. You're not a team <laughs> that's player. That's a fact. And you can, you can see it in people. So I think that, that stuff you learn early on, it definitely carry on the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's a super fact. Now tell me, um, tell me a little bit about again early early on for you because again what I began to learn over you over the years is that you know some of your people, your parents, even your your aunts and uncles, they were into the investing space from a landlord perspective. You know, yep. just being able to have assets and be able to have some residual income coming Definitely. in. So like, how early do you remember like looking and seeing people? investing in like having rental properties do you remember that time i want to say i remember my parents bought their first rental property i was probably like seven or eight years old and it was on lover's lane and i want to say they, this is probably like maybe 92 okay they bought it i think they paid like 7500 dollars for it and i remember walking in there with them and just looking up and you could see the whole upstairs from like the first floor mm. you know of the house but this is 25 years later. They still had a house and they really? still making money off to, of to it. To this day. To this day. Wow. The first one. Wow. You know, and I was seven. I'm 34 now. So. So when you when you when when they had and they would take you by over there, then you were looking up and seeing everything. Did you know that it was like extra income, or did you just look at it like we got an extra house and like right. we work it? They go <laughs> fix it up sometime. Did you know? Did they talk to you about uh, you know what did. was going on? They did. They did. My mom let me know. She said, you know, one day this house is gonna be yours. Mm. And, you know, we fixing this up. And even though I didn't want to come, you know, tag along, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. She, her and my dad had me in there, you know. I thought I was helping. I was probably making it worse, but, right, you right. know, trying to help paint. And But they wanted to give me that exposure to it at a, at a young age to see it's more out here than just, you know, working a nine to five. That's good, too. Yeah. But we, we want to have something for you to have one day, yeah. you know. And so do you remember them, like, specifically pushing that narrative on you as far as, like, look, having a job is good. But you gotta have something else additional to add to what you already doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They was very, very, you know, serious about that. You know, just because they said, "Hey, you can lose your job, you know, for doing nothing wrong right. one day." Right. But the only way you're gonna lose this house is if you don't pay your taxes or you know a mortgage. <laughs> if you got a mortgage on it, right. you know, and it was just it was definitely something they pushed. And again, man, that's so that's an interesting thing because your father and my mother and a lot of my family members worked. At the same place. Everybody, yep. we from Ohio, we from the yep. Midwest. The auto industry is the mid like Midwest, especially Absolutely. here in Ohio. You yep. know what I'm saying? Like we from Akron, like this is the this rubber city. You're right. You're you know right. what I'm saying? Yep. So a lot of times people, you know, um, a lot of our elders and people, you know, from back in the day, they the way that they envisioned life was, 
all right, look, if school don't work, I'm going to go to job. I'm, I'm going to go to work and get, get me a job, have it for 30, 40 years, get my benefits, get my social security, and that's it. Yep. You, you know what I'm saying? But but you're saying that although your people, same area, same thing, just the idea of them planting that seed in you early was yep. allowed for you, was able for you to, like, you know, really take the ball and run with it. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Going forward. Yeah, and I think that was. I mean, I think they intentionally did that. They showed that to me and my brother at an early age just because they wanted us to instill a work ethic and mm -hmm. just know that, you know, multiple streams of revenue is a good thing, is a great thing, is what you should strive for if you can and you have the means and desire to do so because it's something, you you know, you, you might be a doctor, but you can't pass that degree on to your daughter <laughs> right, or your son. Right, so. right, that's a fact. Man, another thing that I remember about you early on is, you know, again, we just kind of touched on, like, your family dynamics and stealing values. Like, a lot of your family was just, you know, into the entrepreneurship space. Definitely. Like, even Tutu. I remember when Tutu yeah. was in high school, Tutu had one of the best hustle hands that I ever seen. He he used to sell snacks and stuff like that <laughs> in school. And check this out. He was making so much bread, the school made him quit. The school made him stop. They wrote they wrote a letter home and everything. Uncle like Sam man. jumped in and yeah, said, no, you're yeah. getting too much money. You, cut, you cutting in on the vending machine properties, bro. You, you cutting in. You, you messing up. So, um, Definitely. What, you know, what I, I say all that to say, you know what I'm saying, that with the with the family dynamics being, being what they were, I remember you – doing eBay early back in the day, selling stuff on eBay, whether that was jerseys, shoes, <laughs> all, all type all type of stuff. The, like the throwback game. Yeah, yeah. Like tell me like what you remember from that, like during during that time period and like, you know, I guess when the the seed was planted, you know what I'm saying, or real estate, it was just the hustle hand and entrepreneurship then, which was able you was able to take that into the eBay space too. Definitely, definitely. And I think with the eBay thing, that a lot of that started with Tutu and Aunt Valerie. You mm -hmm. know, just uh, they from New York, you know, so we'd go up there and we would be able to just shopping on, on, a, on a vacation trip. And, hey, you know, I see these throwback jerseys and they 40% for the less for than, the you know, yeah. what they selling for, for the next, yeah, you know. So low. it was just an opportunity. And it was at a point where, like, eBay was kind of new at that point, And I was, uh, I was a, a customer on eBay. Like, I, that's where I bought my shoes and my jerseys and stuff, the exclusive stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm like, let me try it from a seller standpoint. And it took off. Yeah. It really took off, you know. So that was my real first, I, I want to say, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, step into the water, put my yeah. toes in. And yeah. I, I learned more from eBay, I feel like, than I did at, I don't want to say in college, but like in a job sense, you know, just now, because. you just, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off, go ahead. I mean, you just learn about supply and demand, you know. Oh, you see, uh, I'm selling North Face coats right now in the summertime. Don't nobody want to buy North Face right. coats right now in the right. summertime. So I'm selling them at a, at a discount now, you know, but. You, you you learn a lot from that stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's that's good. That's dope. Um, so you just kind of touched on it a little bit. Did you? I know you said you went to school for a minute. Did you ever finish school at all? I did not finish. You know, I was focused on everything but school during that <laughs> time frame when I should have been. But I, I made it to I want to say about two and a half years in, and just life. You know, I needed yeah. a job. I needed to survive, and I left school and got my first like real job. I worked in the collections department at a bank. Nothing fancy. You know, I ain't ashamed to say it. I was making eleven dollars an hour, but I was happy to make that eleven dollars mm -hmm. an hour. That's a lot of bread, though. You know, you, you, you know what I'm saying. If your bills yeah. ain't too crazy. Eleven dollars yeah. an hour. You ain't yeah. got no kids. That's, yeah. that's you know? decent money at a certain time. Though. It is. It was, but at the same time, I always wanted more. And right. I realized, I want to say, probably six months into just solely working mm -hmm. a nine to five like that, I'm like, you know, I'm never gonna be able to support the lifestyle I want to live right. with just this. Right. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's I. I, def, I definitely understand it. Listen. I mean, I. I, I do. It took me 
Shit, it took me about twelve years to get me a four year degree. But you got it though. I did get it. You got and it I, though. And I am very, I'm very um happy that I got it. More so from the standpoint that like I was glad that I started something and finished it. Absolutely. Um, but I am def. If I could do, I always tell myself if I could do it all over again, I would have said fuck school early. And I would have <laughs> just, I would have just jumped into real estate or you know I would have did something to right. like right. Where I could make my bread right away, where the return on investment was was quicker, it was Absolutely. easier. You know, it would have made a little bit more sense. But I mean, I'm I mean, not hindsight, mad. At hindsight, they say it's twenty twenty all the time. You know, like if I could go back, me knowing what I know now and what I do now, I would have picked up a trade and would have became a carpenter and never went to college. Right, just flat out, just because that skill set apply more so to what I'm doing now than you know anything I for for real learned in college. Yeah. You know, and I, I was a business major. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that, that's dope. Now. Real estate, um, I want us to, you know, I want us to kind of touch on like, you know, different aspects of it, you know, what it looks like from a lending standpoint. Um, but again, when we had spoke about this interview, one thing I said that I wanted you to touch on is just the mindset that goes into it. Um, because, man, we hear people talk about the mindset aspect from like a Google standpoint, you know what I'm saying? It's always... Like, at least when I see a broadcast, there's a couple dudes out there on the forefront who really doing it um, big. But it's mostly white dudes talking about it, you know what I'm saying, from an aspect, um, from a mental aspect that I don't think a lot of times black dudes or just black people in general can necessarily, hang, you know what I'm saying, lean on to. Right. Um, so I want you to just be able to speak to the overall mindset that you think that you need, that anybody would necessarily need in order to, like, be in this space and be successful at it. Absolutely. I mean, for me... I invest in communities that I'm comfortable in. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people might not be comfortable in the neighborhood surrounding Copley Road, but for a good portion of my life, I grew up over there. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where I look at it as an opportunity to A, um, you know, obviously build some passive income with a rental property, uh, but B, also helping, you know, rebuild a community that I feel a part of, yeah. you know. So it's, it's not easy all the time, mm-hmm. you know, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely worth it. And it's something that, it's not an overnight thing, you know. It's it's about longevity. If if I could say one word, is longevity. It's lo- you thinking long term, mm-hmm. you know. So, you might have one rental property, and you might net maybe four hundred dollars after you know all your expenses is paid every month. But if you can, you know, look at that from a macro standpoint and multiply that, you know, by multiple houses, you know, that's job income after a while, and it's something right. that you can pass on. So, right. but. You definitely got to think long term and respect the rental properties. Right, right. I, I, Jay Morrison always says he said real estate is get rich right. It's not get rich quick. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's more so about the the long the long term play. Absolutely. Um, as far the again as far as the mindset, um, not just that. You know, not just you know investing in communities that you be feel a part of. Because I think that that's that's super important. A lot of people don't don't talk about that either. Is like you know, right. obviously we hear about the return of investment. It makes sense from the number standpoint. But I like that aspect of, you know, investing, you know, where you feel comfortable, where you Definitely. feel a part of the community, you Absolutely. know, where you're actually doing a service. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? But also touch on the mindset aspect as far as like the fear, you know what I'm saying? Okay. The, the risk taking, you know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Like the, you know. The, <laughs> That's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. T- touch on that. Talk about that a little bit. Um, I mean, with every deal you do, that fear, it, that never leave. It don't matter how much money you got because you, this is real life money. You know, this is your, your livelihood that you you're putting on the table here. So I think that fear is a good thing, but doing your due diligence behind the scenes is more important. And that subdues the fear, just knowing that I know this is a good buy at X amount. I know it's going to take me X amount to get it fixed up. 
and I know that I can get a tenant in here paying this amount mm. and the numbers work. So mm. as long as the numbers work and you, you really do your due diligence beforehand, yeah, the fear is real. I, I, I got a duplex under contract right now and I got the bubbles in right, my stomach right, right now still just because I'm cutting it close, you know, but I know it's a good deal and, you know, I'm going to do what I got to do to make sure it work. That's mm-hmm, the key. You mm-hmm. know, you got to really be able to get your feet wet. Like I'm not a contractor. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not the most uh, able person with my hands, but I do enough to, you know, contribute and make sure it get done. But I think another big key is networking, building good relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I got a lot of different contractors that I work, work with and go to for different stuff that, you know, they've saved me a lot of different times and they've done it reasonably. But it's it's all about relationships, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. touch on because I like I like that I like that doing your due diligence, being proactive. You Absolutely, know, that will eliminate a lot of the anxiety and fear sure. that comes along for with sure. it. Touch on a little bit about what um, what aspects of due diligence you think is important. You know, what I'm saying and oh, and looking for looking for the deal and, and and just in general, you know, what is part of a part of doing your due diligence to you? Um, I think one of the most important things is. Know what comps are in your neighborhood. <laughs> the if, comparables, for yeah, sure. If you mm-hmm. know what comparable houses, um, and when I say comparable, you know, if you got a three-bedroom, one-bath ranch, know what three-bedroom, one-bath ranches is selling for within a mile to two or in your zip code. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're selling for forty, and you can get a house for 15000 that only need $5,000 worth of work to it, you can be done for $20,000. But if you don't, you know, understand what the market is, you might be buying above market value. And I always tell people, you don't make your money in real estate when you sell. You realize your gain, your profit when you sell. You make your money when you buy the property, mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. buy under market value. That's mm-hmm. where the you can have the nicest house on the block, but if it's $50,000 more than everything surrounding it, it don't matter. It don't matter. Mm-hmm. No bank's going to finance mm-hmm. it, and no you know, half-smart person is going to pay fifty k more to live next to you know a house that's $50,000 less, yeah. per se. Yeah. So, uh, the comparables, just understanding your market, where you're putting your money at, is extremely important. So when you talk about actually running the comps and like you know being able to do your due diligence with the comps, are you using realtors to define to get specific oh. comps? Are you using Zillow, the Trulia's, all Cause, of the above? Because because a, a lot of people will tell you you know um, you can't trust the Zillows and the Trulia's. You know the numbers aren't aren't always so accurate. And what and what I say is the estimate that you see on like a Zillow isn't generally accurate but they have an option where you can go in and click on sold properties okay and if you go in there and click on the sold properties um those are comps those Mm -hmm. are realistic comps okay okay it's just knowing that they sold now if it's a that's a a, good gym right there yeah if it's a property that you know you might have to do do a little bit more deep uh digging because if it was for sale by owner that may not get listed at, by the bank as a comp because they don't look at it you know it, it didn't go on the, the market essentially it wasn't listed on mls but any of those sold comps on zillow so i use a combination of both i use a realtor um but i also do my own deal due, due diligence you know just as a fun fact i can tell people i've never had a realtor find me a house out of all the deals i done did in my life really i've always found my own just because it's one of those things where not all realtors you got a lot of good ones you got some bad ones you got a lot of selfish ones they get paid percentage wise based off of the, the amount that you know the house sales for mm-hmm. so it behooves mm-hmm. them to don't look at them fifteen thousand dollar houses Let's find one that's 45 or 50, right. you know, that that's, you know, nice and pretty and moving and ready. That's not my niche, right. you know, for me. Right. I don't care if it's, you know, three, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000, whatever, 20. It, it, it's all about a numbers game, yeah. you know. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's my money. You know, you might be good at what you do as a realtor. And it's not bad mouth in realtors because there's a lot of great ones. My mother-in-law is a realtor, <laughs> and I use her for most of my deals. Okay, but even with that being said, 
I know what I want. Right. You know, so I'm right. I'm proactive in finding my own deals. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you just said it, you know, a couple of minutes ago about, you know, knowing the importance of having relationships. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Using and working with the people, you know, whom, whom you trust. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So they can get you those 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 good numbers. Yep. Um, so when you're finding these deals, um, <laughs> are you looking for, are you talking to people who know what the market is looking like off, off market? Or are you strictly looking... For the deals that are listed in on market, um, it's a combination of both. Okay, like it's a combination of both. If I'll put it like this: if you're an owner occupant, um, you're looking to actually live in a house, it's a lot easier for you to find a great deal because you got places like uh, HUDHomestore.com, which is the uh, FHA foreclosed houses, where for the first twenty or I want to say twenty days, they won't sell to an investor. They only sell to people who plan on living in the house. Mm -hmm. So. You got a great opportunity owner to occupied. get some, yeah, owner mm -hmm. occupied. You got a great opportunity to get some deals for under market value. Another one is uh, homesteps.com or um, homepath.com. Those is all foreclosed properties that's, you know, foreclosed by government, you know, backed entities that they want to sell to people who want to live in, in, in the properties as opposed to investors first and foremost. If no uh, owner occupants come to buy those properties, then they'll sell to investors. So, I got you. So you even doing your due diligence with the information Absolutely. <laughs> that you, you got to know. Absolutely. Like I go on them websites constantly and I'm, you know, itching, just wait until the investor period comes right. because a lot of the properties they need, you know, they might need a new roof. They might be ugly on the inside, but the underlying value within that neighborhood, it might be a $60,000 neighborhood. And, you know, the house is a $20,000 house, but you can only buy it cash. So a lot of owner occupants will, you know, maybe even though, you know, they see some possibility in the house that may not be the one for them because, they're afraid of the unknown with that house. Right, right, so. right, right. Talk to me about the mortgage industry. You know what I'm saying? How did you even get involved into, into you know, underwriting to, to the mortgage industry as a whole? How did, where did that even start? Um, like I said, my first real job out, like when I left school, I worked in collections at a big bank around here. And like, I really, that's what really got me serious about investing. I ain't going to say the dude's name, <laughs> but I worked with a dude who was a year older than me, African-American, young black dude. And he really motivated me. Like, mm -hmm. even with, you know, seeing my parents do it, my aunts and uncles do it. Like, this dude really motivated me because he was a year older than me and he had five rental properties and I ain't had mm -hmm. nothing but, but pocket change mm -hmm. in my pocket. You know, how, I'm like, how old were you at this time? I was 22. So he 23. He 23 oh, with five yeah. houses. He's yeah. from Cleveland. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm looking at him like this dude just like me, you know. Right. He, I'm prideful a little bit, you know, he ain't no smarter than me, <laughs> right, you know, right, like right. <laughs> when am I doing wrong? And right. that, that's what really, for real, for real, like I, if I had to point, point to one scenario, like he motivated me to make me really want to like really? take it serious really? just because he like, bro, you spinning your wheels. You think these folks going to make you the manager in here? Like mm. it's not going to happen. Mm. Do something for yourself. Mm. And like, I ain't going to say his name because I don't think he want to spot blow up <laughs> right, like no that, doubt, but no we cool still, but. He probably got like 30, 40 right now, yeah, you know? So yeah. I still, every now and then I still reach out to dude, you know, like, hey, you know what you, you know, and he, I consider him a mentor to me essentially, okay, you okay, know? Okay, Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's good, man. You know what I'm saying? To be able to get that insight from wherever it's at, you know what I'm saying? That's really, to me, like, that's like some, that's some spiritual components in there, like For putting sure. people in your path. Yep. To like give you the game, you know Absolutely. what I'm saying? So you can like take it and run with it and do your and do your own thing. With Absolutely. It. And dude was completely open about like just telling me how he got to that spot, you what his future plans was, and just being transparent about it. And I think for me, seeing somebody who looked like me, who roughly the same age as me, 
doing what I really want to do, but I'm kind of pitter pattering about it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, hey, he can really, do, you know, this is possible. Like, yeah. it's just it takes the dedication. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. so when you left the 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 well. When you were at the spot doing the collections, did mm-hmm. you end up just staying at this place and just kind of moved up to uh, get into the underwriting? Um, I mean, I, I, well, how I did you say, how did you even know to even like jump into because you wanted to get into the real estate space well, and you knew that that was a, a good access into doing so? Definitely, it was twofold. It was one of those things where I wanted to make more money and I knew I needed to get in a different area. So I did get promoted into a different area at this company, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I realized working there, I'm like, you know. Uh, without a college degree, the best field I can get into to actually make a sustainable amount of money that that's okay is probably getting into underwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't actually become an underwriter there. I left and became a mortgage loan officer first and foremost. Okay. Went to another bank. Uh, I think in banking, a lot of times you got to jump around to really get the opportunity and the money that you want. But I went to another bank, became a mortgage loan officer, and I learned the ins and outs uh, of the mortgage side of things you know, slanging mortgages pretty much mm-hmm. as, as a loan officer. Mm-hmm. And that was extremely helpful because, um, I'm, I, you, I mean, you get to see it, you know, wholeheartedly, for, you know, experience with every loan program available. You know, you're doing FHA loans, you're doing VA loans. And it's like, hey, you know, you only got to put 3.5% down with an FHA loan. Mm-hmm. Like, I can I can do that. You right. know, so right. that was it. And then I left there and I went to another bank and worked in like an asset manager, like position kind of like it was a, collections like foreclosure bankruptcy and then i went to another bank and that's where i got my opportunity in underwriting i started as a uh as a loan processor processing mortgages and stuff and eventually got promoted uh to a position where i could do you know underwrite mortgages and whatnot yeah so when you were you learning anything about the sales aspect of it too um i mean you you deal with i don't want to say directly you you deal with realtors but you see the sales contract you see the purchase contract um, you have realtors calling in, you know, asking questions about their deal and whatnot. So you definitely, you know, deal with, with, with realtors and whatnot. But for me as an investor, you know, I can be honest with you. I haven't always had the best credit. So, right, you know, right. from an underwriting standpoint, I wanted to learn what's it going to take for me to get my loan approved? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I doing wrong or what's wrong with my profile that why I'm getting declined or I'm not getting approved for the amount that I want. Mm-hmm. And I applied that to my life, you yeah. know? So I think for me, I put both feet in the water. You know, my, my day job corresponds with what I do after work, too. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, just like you said, living your, your purpose. Like, I feel like my purpose is to help build up this community where I'm at and, you know, do stuff with, you know, real estate. So I, I really I, I use my day job to help my part time job and, you know, build up from that. And see, I, I, I like I like what you said. I, I heard somebody say, I can't think who it was who said it, but they said, um, it's another podcast I'd like to listen to. And the person on the podcast, they said that your first um, your first investor into your business is your job. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's you know, real. You know what that's I'm saying? So true. Like a lot of times in the entrepreneurship space, at least today, social media, um, the way they did things have been socialized today. A lot of times it's the facade of like, you gotta quit your job and just chase your dreams. And as good as that sound, that ain't really real like that. Not if you got kids and responsibilities. Yeah, that's you know. that's a fact, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So I like what you're saying as far as like, listen, I utilize what I was doing over here to help me fund, you know what I'm saying, my my dreams and doing things, you know, to really establish myself as an investor. Yep. So I, I like that that messaging, you know what I'm saying, for real. Definitely. Um, take me to the first time you bought your first your first piece of property. Was you property. nervous? Was you scared? <laughs> um, was it a good deal? Um, 
are you are do you still have it today? Like talk to me about that first that first deal and that first piece of property that you had. Uh, my first property, man. You know, I had been itching. You know, for I say it took. People think it happened overnight. It took me a realistically probably 18 months to get my credit and my down payment and everything into a position where I was ready to actually go in and buy a house. So, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it's a process. You got to pay them bills on time, pay down debt, you know, do what you got to do to get that debt to income ratio in line. But my first property, it was in the hood, but it was a hood that I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. 704 City View. You can okay. look it up. Yeah. I put the address out there. Yeah. I ain't going to lie to you. It was a, a what was it? A, home path it was a, a home path fannie mae foreclosed property and this was 2011 and uh, i bought it for thirty four thousand dollars. but it was a new construction house so it was built probably maybe seven eight years ago and this is during the period where like you can get houses for dirt cheap like prices have gone up now since then but like this house when it originally was built in 2000 and i want to say maybe five it has sold for one hundred twenty thousand. And I got it for thirty four thousand, mm. you know. So, you know, at, at that time it was only worth thirty four thousand per, you know, whatever appraisal the bank did or whatever. But my wife and I, you know, I don't want to say just me because it's a team. Mm-hmm. You know, we was married. Uh, she was pregnant with my little girl. We bought our first house, and like it was a fixer upper, but it wasn't terrible, you mm-hmm. know. And I was fortunate where my dad is a carpenter. You know, my father in law is a carpenter, so you know on the weekends they come in help out, but. Me and my pregnant wife, we in there painting walls, you know, spackling walls. I'm learning on the fly. You got to be willing to get your feet wet. And it's, it's definitely a risk. But for me, I call it a live-in flip. Mm. And when I say, why I say a live-in flip is because I knew I was going to sell that house. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had to buy a house with equity in it. I need to buy right first, you know, mm-hmm. to make my future plans and goals actually feasible. But I paid thirty four for it. We probably put five 6000 in it. Lived there for 18 months and sold it for 91. Mm. So that's a come know, up. That's how, a come long, up. how long did you have it? I had it for 18 months. 18 months. And oh, I, the reason I that. specialize, I say say 18 months is as an investor, this is a this is a gem for a lot of people. If you live in a house per the tax code for more than 12 months, you don't have to pay taxes on any gain mm. that you make on that property as long as you live in it for mm. 12 months. Mm. So you know when we sold that, it's that's like a gem. It's a gem. You know. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, if, if, if you don't live in that house, even if you do own it for a year, you still got to pay it, you know, capital gains on any amount you make profit wise, um, you know, on the house. But nonetheless, definitely for owner occupants, if you sell your house, stay there at least a, a year. But going into it, every property that I've ever bought, I look at it as an investment, even the house I live in, because at the end of the day, I never know. You might lose your job tomorrow. Stuff might get tight. We might have another kid. If, if I need to sell tomorrow. I know I can you not can. only get out, but I can probably put a couple dollars in my pocket at right, the same time. Right, right. So on the on the scared the shit meter, where were you at one to ten when you first before you even purchased it? Oh man, I scared the shit. My wife was pregnant. With, you know, <laughs> I'm about to have my first kid. You know, like we buying this fixer upper. I don't know what's wrong with it. You know, right. I mean, besides the visible stuff, like mm-hmm. it's always something that pop up out mm-hmm. the blue. But you definitely was scared. But it was one of those things where I had did my due diligence, and when I say due diligence, I knew that. This house, truthfully, even though I got it for thirty-four thousand, is worth more than thirty-four thousand because right. you can't build this house right now for less than a hundred. Right. So you know, my 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 thought process was, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make it nice, livable, and appealing to somebody else, and for us to be comfortable while we live there. You even know? even even with the location being being in the hood, you knew all hood. of that stuff was, was Absolutely. possible. Absolutely, because it's one of those things where <clears throat> people had paid one hundred and twenty thousand dollars to live in this hood. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was one of the things. 
it's only a hood to somebody from the outside. Right. To me, it was home. Right. You know, so it right. didn't scare me that, mm-hmm. hey, you know, it was gunshots over there. We we lived over there, you know, right. for the first 10 years of my life. Right. You know? So, right. like, definitely. Talk to me about, because you mentioned this a little bit, like, you know, at one point, your credit wasn't always on point. Like, right. what did you do to, like, assist yourself in building your credit? Because when I talk to different people, um, even, even myself at one point in time, before I even got into the space, I had to get my credit right. You know, I didn't know what the hell debt to income ratio was. Right. I didn't know how debt to income ratio messed up my credit. Like my mom would always kind of say to me as a kid, pay your bills on time. If not, your credit going to be messed up. And I heard her, you know, it sat with me, but I didn't really understand the impact of having credit, you know, why it's important to have good credit, you know, how you can, you know, do things to get bad credit, ways to build up credit. So talk about some things that you did specifically to kind of like help yourself build up your credit. I think for me, a lot of it was working in that collections capacity and seeing mm. other people mm. like they in the process of losing their house. You know, you so, know the system. Yeah, I'm, I'm examining. I'm like, you know, so <clears throat> part of my job was figuring out what put you in that bad spot. So in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm taking notes. Um, you know what I shouldn't do. But at the same time, you know, my credit, like I said, wasn't always the best. And it was credit cards was my downfall. You know, it was one of those things where it's easy to swipe, swipe, swipe. You don't think nothing of it. And then next thing you know, you got a thousand dollars on that card. Oh, well, now you're carrying a balance. Um, so for me, it was just trying to not use the credit cards and just paying them down. Um, I think as a rule of thumb, you know, as an underwriter, I can tell you now uh, for revolving credit usage, you want to keep that at or below 30 percent. So if what does what does that mean? What does revolving credit usage mean? Uh, it means like if you got a credit card. Or like a home equity line of credit per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, not so much a home equity line, but more so a credit card. Um, if you got a thousand dollars available to you, you really only want to at the end of the month have no higher than the balance three hundred dollars mm-hmm. reporting, unless unless you pay it down every month. A lot mm-hmm. of the the wealthier people that I've done loans for, I've noticed they pay down. You know, they they don't use per se the cash in their checking account. They swipe for everything to get the points whatever their credit card get them and then they pay it down every month you mm-hmm. know that may not be a strategy for everybody you know i personally don't really do that mm-hmm. but i think you know keeping your credit card usage down uh below or at 30 percent obviously paying your bills on time and living within your means you know like i want a corvette i probably on paper could make it work mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where is getting a corvette gonna stop me from getting this sixplex that i want to buy right. corvette or sixplex. Right. I want the sixplex more right. than I want the Corvette because if I get the sixplex, I might not even want the Corvette no more. I might look at an I eight. You know, <laughs> right, right. you got to look at it like that. You know. Yeah. Now, does the thirty percent does that work the same with um with HELOCs too with home equity lines of credit as well? Um, it's still re- considered a revolving trade line, but you know the credit scoring looks at it a little bit different. So a HELOC don't necessarily get counted as much. Um. Per se, but definitely like for bank credit cards and, you know, those type of revolving trade lines, you definitely want to keep those at a 30 percent. A HELOC doesn't really affect it the same. OK, you know? so talk to me about the different. Well, first off, tell me, like, what does an underwriter do? What does that look like on, on a day to day? And after that, I want you to kind of touch on a little bit about like the different type of loans, you know, the conventional loans, the FHA. Um, what are some of the others, you know, that people are not familiar with um, that they probably should be? But first and foremost, tell me exactly like what an underwriter does. What does that look like? <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, for, for people in the, the mortgage process or the loan process, the underwriter is the bad guy. Okay. You're okay. always the bad guy. You know, you're denying the, or approving. You deny, you're denying or approving. <laughs> you know, you don't want making a credit decision on uh, a loan application. And it's it's tedious work, but it's meticulous at the same time because 
you know, as much as a tenth of a percentage can, you know, make or break a loan. So I think, you know, for me, I, I enjoy it, you know, just because every loan is kind of like a, a puzzle. You're putting the pieces together and you're trying to help somebody at the same time. Um, I think contrary to a lot of people's beliefs, my life is a lot easier when I'm doing nothing but approving loans. <laughs> right. you know, if, if I got a whole bunch of denials, I know I got a whole bunch of phone calls coming in from the loan officers. So uh, my day start off with, you know, just pulling credit reports, um, you know, verifying bank statements, looking at appraisals. So um, what would cause somebody to get their loan denied? Um, I mean, there's a lot of moving variables. It's a couple of pillars of credit I think people can talk about. You got... Um, your credit score, you got your capacity to repay, which is, you know, your DTI, um, you know, and those are two of the main ones, really. You okay. know, there, there's four, but in, in hindsight, it's really credit and capacity okay. uh, to repay. Um, if your credit score is bad, obviously, you know, for a mortgage or for any loan, for that matter, that shows an inability to repay on right. time. That's an additional risk from a bank standpoint. You're probably not going to get your, your loan, you know, approved if, you got a whole bunch of late pays. But even if you do have a bunch of late pays, if you start today and you get everything current, in a couple of months, you can probably get a loan. Mm. It's like if you got, I've seen people with horrible, terrible credit, you know, get denied and six months later come back and it's a slam dunk approval. So yeah. it's all about how serious you are about improving your current situation. Yeah. And the worst thing you can do is not pay your credit, right? The, the worst. That's that's the worst thing. That you that's can't the avoid worst. it. There, there's no running from it. You know, yeah, yeah. people, I see all this stuff. People talk about CPNs and all these other tricks and stuff to try and circumvent the system. At the end of the day, pay your bills. Pay on your time. Bills. Get yourself yeah. current. Make the sacrifice for the three to six months. Heck, it might be a year. Yeah. Do what you got to do to get current on your stuff. Pay it on time. Pay stuff down. And like cash is king, but you can do a lot with credit, with credit, yeah. with credit. Yeah. you know, with $10,000 in cash and a one credit. You can do just as much, if not more, as somebody with a hundred thousand dollars cash. Yeah, and you like know? and like you, man, we all kind of been there. You know what I'm saying? At one point in time, having terrible credit, I can I can remember being one of these people yeah, that's avoiding. Yeah, look, I got this bill. Nah, I'm putting that money to. I'm not paying I'm that right now. I'll be all right. Yeah, else. I'll be all right. But <laughs> I, I get to them later. Yeah, that's a fact. But now I learn. You know, no, that's gonna come back and bite you in the ass if you don't go ahead and just you know handle it now. And you feel better when you get that stuff done, Absolutely. man. You know, when you when you working towards something and you just chipping away, chipping away, you feel better about that. No you, doubt, you, no you, doubt. You know what I'm saying? So that's a that's that's a good thing. So touch on touch uh, a little bit about you know. The conventional loans, FHA loans, different type of loans out there. Touch on, on, on some of those. I think it's a big misconception in the world that it's super hard to get a house. Okay. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not. If you, it, Break that FHA, down. Break that down. It's not that hard. If you go FHA, <clears> so <throat> if you, what I tell most other people who I talk to that's trying to get into the, you know, investing, but they want to, they, they maybe not, maybe they haven't purchased a home just yet um, for themselves to live in. I tell them. Look at an FHA loan, because with an FHA loan, you only got to put 3.5% down of the purchase price. So if you buy a $100,000 house, that's $3,500. Mm -hmm. That's a tax refund. Mm -hmm. you know, for it's, tax, it's tax season. It's tax season. Y'all about to get them taxes back. Put that money down, yes. you know what I'm saying, yes. to try to get you, get you an FHA loan. And not only that, but with an FHA loan, they do loans down as low as like mid-500 credit score. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like it's a government-backed agency. It's, it's essentially... Right. Is the government? They, the government's not going to originate the loan. You're going to go to a bank, um, any any bank in the world. Mo almost every bank in the world do FHA loans. The bank's going to originate the loan, 
but the government's going to buy it. Yeah. So even, even your credit unions do FHA loans. Yeah, everybody mm-hmm. do them. You mm-hmm. know, and you only got to put 3.5% down and you can, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, cite specifics because I don't originate, I don't do FHA loans, but the, I believe the med- middle score is mid 500s. Okay. So if you got a 550, somebody, <clears throat> you might have to call around, you know, the bank up the street might not approve you, but you really got to hit the, pe- the concrete and call around and find out, you know, for your specific scenario, if it's a good deal. But yeah, FHA, um, and like you can have some collections on your accounts too with FHA. So like mm-hmm. they really, the purpose of that whole loan program is to get people who want to live in a house in a mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got other loan scenarios where it's a conventional mortgage. A conventional mm-hmm. mortgage, generally speaking, uh, requires you to put 20% down. Uh, but like the mortgage industry is always moving and changing. They got, you know, loan programs where, you know, my the house I live in, I did a conventional loan, but I was savvy with it and we did a 5% conventional loan. Mm. So what it means is you only got to put 5% down, but you got to pay mortgage insurance. So we did, the option we did was 5% conventional loan uh, with prepaid mortgage insurance. So I paid, you know, I asked for uh, seller's concessions from the seller and I had him essentially pay my, um, I guess you could say my mortgage mortgage interest mm-hmm. uh, for the loan. So I know I you know I got in my house with you know only putting five percent down. Really, you know, really yeah. doing it using a conventional loan. Using a conventional loan. And, and the difference like one of the stipulations and the difference between conventional and FHA, FHA F, excuse me, FHA, you have to live in the property. Correct. Where conventional you can't you can choose to live in it or it can be an investment property, well, correct? Well it really depends on um <clears throat> when you originate <clears throat> the loan, what your intention is. You know, it, it's it varies. Like if if I go in, there's FA, uh, there's conventional investor loans and conventional owner occupant loans. As an investor, if I go in on to buy a single family property, I got to put twenty five percent down. Mm. Um, as a, um, if you live in a property, you only got to put twenty percent down. Mm-hmm. So, but it, I mean, it's still essentially the same loan, um, but nonetheless, it's it's a good option. And yeah. the, the the big, you know, most people say, well. Why would you go conventional instead of FHA? Well, if you don't plan to live in a house, you can't go FHA. Right. FHA is only for owner occupants. Right. Uh, with a conventional loan, you know, you you do have the option to be an investor on the property, like mm-hmm. you, you mentioned. So why would a why would a person pick conventional over FHA who was going to live in it? Uh, generally speaking, I think for a conventional loan, um, the biggest one is you don't pay mortgage interest if you put in the twenty percent down, and right. that mortgage interest on an FHA loan. You pay an upfront premium, and then you pay a, a monthly premium every month right. for only being able to put three point five percent on your mortgage, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like that money is not paying down your mortgage. You paying some third party company <laughs> and insurance mm-hmm. to you know say, hey, if in the event of def- default, mm-hmm. uh, they'll pay the bank off. You mm-hmm. know, so that that PMI, and when you're talking about you know you buy a hundred thousand dollar house, that might add a hundred or two hundred dollars on your payment. So you really got to weigh: um, Do I want to put more down? And, you know, avoid PMI or don't want to put less down and maybe have a, a mortgage payment that's maybe $150, $200 more a month than what it could be if I put a little bit more down. So, yeah. so again, like one of the, you know, one of the reasons for even starting this podcast is, man, is that like, you know, I really want to try to bring awareness and like really educate people on certain things. And it sounds like, you know, at least for people just trying to really just jump into the game to kind of get their feet wet really get a taste of what it's like the fha loan really might be your best bet especially if your credit may be a little bit lower yep um it's less money to put down yep um but there are some i don't want to say stipulations but there's like a a longer process definitely with the the fha loan can you talk talk a little bit about that as well um i mean with you only putting 3.5 percent down potentially 
um, the loan there that's a lot more stringent than a conventional exactly. loan. That's that's another you know thing that I'm glad you touched on with an FHA loan. You can't have no chipped peeling right. paint, right. Um, no rickety steps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know everything has to be up and, and running and functional and in good you know standing essentially. Mm-hmm. But with a conventional loan, you know. Uh, the, the, the furnace might not work yeah. technically and you right. still might be able to get, right. you know, the, your conventional loan approved <clears throat> based on the fact that you got, you know, 20% equity in the property or you paid the, you know, upfront PMI. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's not as many, it's not as cumbersome as an FHA loan. Mm-hmm. Best way to put mm-hmm. it, you know. Now, what about, what about um, conventional, like, for, is it 401? Is that the name of the loan? The 203K? The 203K, where you can kind of, where you can get the same um, interest rates and things like that, but you also get money for the renovation, the, the rehab and everything. Yeah. What is it, what type of loan is that? That's called a FHA 203K loan, and it's a renovation loan that allows you to still only put 3.5% down. So what what it is, is pretty much you find a house you like, you get pre-approved for a, with, with an FHA 203K approved lender. Not every bank that does FHA loans uh, does a 203K program. So you're going to have to look around a little bit to find a 203K lender. But if you can, it's worth its weight in gold because you can buy that house that, you know, don't have no running water, need a furnace, need a roof, need a hot water tank, but it's way below market value. Uh, They do require you to use like a licensed and bonded contractor Mm -hmm. uh, to do the repairs. But essentially, uh, just throwing out numbers, let's say the house you can get it for twenty thousand. It needs twenty thousand worth of repairs, and the after repair value is sixty thousand. So essentially, you, the FHA loan allows you to buy the house for twenty k. Uh, the contractor does the repairs. You know that costs another twenty k, and you have a, a forty thousand dollar mortgage that you only have to put three point five percent down on. Mm. I'm not going. You know, I ain't smart enough to do the math I got on you. top of my head, but I got you. You only got to put three point five percent of that in number forty percent down, as so long as the house will appraise. And you got ninety six point five percent equity or ninety six point five loan to value within the house. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. So people who people who um, who want to get into the FHA space, um, there is also a process, for, and they may not have money outside of the you know the three and a half percent. Right. There's a, a option out there that will give you money you know for the rehab that you can apply for as well. The only yeah. thing is, a lot of banks don't always offer. That type, of, that type of loan, but it is available. It to is people. available. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like another thing that's a, a misconception about FHA loans is you can actually buy up to a fourplex with an FHA loan. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I always tell a lot of people like I was kind of, you know, I just jumped out there when I jumped into the real estate space. But like hindsight is twenty twenty. If I could go back, I would still probably buy that first property I bought. Mm-hmm. But my second property would have probably been a fourplex. You would have lived in it. I would have lived yeah. in it, you know, just yeah. for the simple fact yeah. that I can, I, feel you I can get in there for 3.5% down. And at that time, you was able to get, you know, a fourplex for maybe 25000 30000 yeah. Today, that same fourplex might be sixty or seventy. Right. So, right. you know, but... Hey, you live and you learn. And you in in situations like that, you'll be able to live rent free because somebody yep. else will be paying your rent for you and you'll be able to make money on top of, you know what I'm saying, why you just live in there. Absolutely. Um, and then you could either keep it and hold it or you'll be able to, you know, be able to flip the the, the asset. You know, just you for have sure. you have exit strategies, you know, when you do something do something like that. Definitely. Um, definitely. So that's multiple options. Yes, mu- multiple options, which is a big thing, really in anything, for sure. But especially in the real estate space, having leaving leaving your options absolutely, you know, um, com- completely open. And you touched on an important thing: knowing an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think one of the besides buying under market value, I think knowing your end goal with a property is probably the second most important thing. Um, some people I've seen people just buy a house just because they want to get in the the real estate industry, but it's like, is it going to be a flip? 
Is it yeah. going to be a rental property? And yeah. knowing what you want to do with that property up front and having a defined goal can make or break you, you know. Mm-hmm. So definitely, you know, know your end, you know, your exit strategy. If there is one, if it's a long term, cool, you know. But yeah. definitely yeah. know what you want to do, though. Yeah. Talk to me about some of your biggest mistakes or failures, you know, things that you did along the way that you able to, again, look back on now. Like, OK, I know I messed up there. If I could do that again, I'm I'm definitely going to go about it this way. You know, something that you learned, something that really like, you know, what I'm saying kicked you. You know what I'm saying? That definitely. you, you know, that you learned and can you, you know, um, kind of defer think, from the day. I think I mean, I, I bought my first house in 2011 and I think I learned my most important um, thing in the real estate game that I've learned so far probably in 2018 i had bought a duplex paid cash for it and i underestimated the repairs Mm. and it kind of put me in a tight spot financially um with that duplex you know so i i think i got i don't want to say cocky but you could probably say cocky and just you know i got this i got this so it's one of those things where look at every deal like it can make or break you Mm. every deal it don't matter if it's a small you know property where you you got plenty of resources to, to you know to go in and make it happen look at every deal at like it can make or break you because realistically you never know you know you really never know so yeah. but for me i think it was on that specific duplex it was underestimating the repairs that was needed and then not properly financing it right up front mm. you know like i had the option to get a mortgage up front and you know i chose to pay cash you know trying to I got a little bit better of a deal, but in hindsight, it would have made more sense to finance it up front, keep my cash on hand, and then the renovation would have been, you know, done quicker and more efficiently than what I got it able to, you know, I was able to do it, you know, so I learned from that one. I ended up actually, you know, getting that property done and selling it at a profit, mm-hmm. but it was one of those things where I tell anybody, I learned more from that house than the, uh, you know, 15 or other 20 yeah. other ones I yeah. ever touched yeah. just because, just even from a renovation standpoint, it was the first duplex I ever bought. And it was like a gut rehab on both sides, mm. which is cool. But one of the biggest mistakes I made was I got it both sides at the same time. I bought two new furnaces, two new hot water tanks, two <laughs> new kitchen cabinets all at the same you time. Went all out. I went all out because yeah. it needed all that stuff. But in hindsight, I should have did one unit, finished one unit at a time, and then you know did the same thing on the other side because here I am 80% done on both sides. But neither one is completely finished. And, and you I'm, can't rent one I'm of looking, them out. I'm looking like, all right, yeah, you know, right. I'm going to have to get my hands a little bit dirtier than what I have to. But right. it make or break you. you right. know. And I got right. in there and I put it like this. I learned how to do some stuff I had never had to do, you mm-hmm. know, as far as, you know, from a, a, a contractor standpoint, like almost like on some carpentry stuff, you know, with my dad installing cabinets and stuff. You know, it was a humbling experience because I has had so much success before. But it ended up, you know, what could have been a bad deal ended up turning into a profitable one in the long term. And. I put it like this. I learned more on that one than any other deal. Yeah, for you sure. got some education. You just, you just you just paid for some education. That's all it was. I paid for it. Yeah, it. You definitely. just had to pay the toll. It's yeah. like that sometimes. I, my wife was laughing at me because man, it was stressing me out so bad. Man, it was a point where I had like a patch in my head. She's like, you really got stressed. <laughs> it's like, man, I'm losing my hair over this. Right, but right, like, right. When when this is your life, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, so that's why I tell anybody, go don't don't look at it like oh you know it's gonna be easy because it, it's not hard but you got to be dedicated you got to really you know it's like I, I, I work a day job but when I get off work some days I got to go meet a prospective tenant then I got to go you know pay a contractor you know my, my kids and we picking up McDonald's on the way home you know as my daughter doing her homework in the car or trying to read her book like it's dedication but I tell her at the end of the day 
her my son this is gonna be yours one day this is gonna help pay for your college one day mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. like this is why i do that mm-hmm. you know yeah that's that that's dope and that's really you know that's really what it's all about you know what i'm saying at the end of the day making sure that the steps that you take today is going to help the people that come after you absolutely yeah, you know what absolutely I'm um what do you think about like an upcoming recession hitting the market you know what i'm saying when you i all i've been hearing rumblers the last few years that like yo it's coming again, you oh, know. Yeah. Now, it may not hit, the market may not crash and hit as much as it did in 08, you know what I'm saying, because the system, the infrastructure has kind of changed. You know, banks are never going to allow everybody to get mortgages like they were doing right. back in that time. Um, but do you think that it's upon us? And if so, are there some some tips and strategies that you would say, um, tell people to do to really be proactive and really do their due diligence, you know, to kind of like, you know, make sure that you're safe in that, in that time? Absolutely. And, you know, Working in the bank industry, I can tell you for sure, the powers that be from way up are predicting a re- recession within the next 12 to 16 months oh, wow. of some sort. Soon. Uh, they don't know exactly how bad it's going to be. You know, nobody got a crystal ball, but they're, they're anticipating, you know, some type of recession. And I think for me, one thing I learned, like starting when I did in the midst of the last recession was that I buy for cash flow. Mm-hmm. And when I say I buy for cash flow, when I buy a rental property, I'm looking at what it's going to make me every month. So, you know, you know, I look at it like the equity. You always want to buy under market value if you can. Um, but like that's the cherry on top, the equity essentially that you have within the property. But it's, for me, as long as I finance it right and it cash flow every month, the equity, essentially it could be I could be underwater on it. It could be if I owe 30000 on it and it's only worth fifteen. It don't matter if, if I don't need to refinance or I don't need to sell that property as long as it's making me money every month. I'm good, you right. know, and I saw a lot of people working in collections capacity 10 years ago that, you know, they said, oh, I, my house is $100,000 underwater. Uh, there's no benefit in making a payment, even though they could on paper actually still afford that house. They looked at it as a standpoint where it's not worth it to, to you know, to make, continue making that payment. But that same house today is probably worth 20% more mm. or 30% mm. more. Like mm. a lot of those houses came back, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's the market is just ups and downs. And waves. And mm-hmm. It goes ups and downs, you know, but. If your f- fundamentals is right and how you buy, and mm-hmm. that's why I say I always buy for cash flow with rental properties. I flip properties, and that's a whole different mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, equity is everything when, you, when you're looking at a flip. But mm-hmm. from a rental property standpoint, it's all about return on investment. And as long as you you know financed it right up front um, and your cash flow every month and you making money every month, good. You know, Which one do you prefer? Do you prefer the buy and holding or do you prefer flipping? Both. <laughs> Both. Right, right, right. Ain't nothing like making $50,000, yeah, you know, yeah, getting yeah. A, a check for fifty k. Right. But at the same time, it's a lot riskier to flip a house, right, you know, than, right. you know, some people will say, oh, it might, it might take you, it might take house. you 16 months to get that 50 k back. Exactly. Right. You know, I, I, I say this, me and my landlord friends, uh, the flips make you feel like you're getting rich, but then, but the the uh, the rental properties keep the lights on, right? And you need to keep the lights on right. too at the same right. time, right. you know. So, like, and especially it's all about a numbers game with rental properties. You know, with one rental property, you might, you know, you might not feel like you're seeing a big difference, but when you get five or six of them, you know, or more, and you got, you know, you netting five, you know, hundred dollars profit after paying expenses every month on mm-hmm. each property, that's like a a second job. Mm-hmm. Like, I think two years ago I hit the point where my rental properties and flips and stuff, I made more money off of that than I do my day job. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm like, you know, I wholeheartedly need to take this business as serious, if not more serious than my day job. Mm-hmm. You know, and my end goal is to one day get out of the day job. But like you said, you touched on earlier, 
it's important to have that job to fund your dream, mm -hmm. you know, because at the end of the day, if I would have quit my job two, three years ago and just went full fledged, I would have been in bankruptcy <laughs> right. at this point. You right. know, so you do what you got to do to do, you know, until you can do what you want to do. So do you have a do you have a time frame out in your mind that you, you know, that you how much longer you work in the industry or is it more so um, when when your bank account look a certain way? Um, I mean, I, I definitely got a timetable in my head, okay. but it's all about, you know, executing, you yeah. know, deals and whatnot to, you know, and if they, I, I can actually execute, then yeah. But ideally, my in my personal opinion, I, I want to say I got another two years in the workforce. Really? Good. I got an, another two years in the workforce. Okay. My wife might say otherwise, but <laughs> right, right, in, right. in my mind, that's what I'm you thinking. You got the two years. Okay. Yeah. I'm not mad at that. Um, you've touched on this a little bit um, throughout the throughout the uh, podcast today, um, but Really talk to me and dive into me about, you know, the family aspect of it. You know, how early are you introducing your children to, you know, to the real estate space? Is it something that you just kind of like showing them so they can see it like your parents did with you? Or are you really, you know, really introducing them to like what it is you're doing? You know, how you go about doing it, the importance of it, the legacy aspect of it. Talk to me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I take my kids with me. Like, my kids know all my tenants. Mm -hmm. They know, you know, which house is which. Like, we drive down, you know, Hawkins, and my, my, my son would say, that's daddy's house, mm -hmm. you know, just because yeah, that's dope. I want to get them exposed to it as <clears throat> early as possible because it's one of those things where if my son, when he grew up, if he don't want to go to college, I want him to go to college and become a doctor or do whatever the hell he want to do. Mm -hmm. But if he don't want to, you can come work with me, right. you know, and that's that's one of the main reasons I do it. And the same for my daughter, you know. So I think for them, I'm constantly, you know, talking to them and showing them, and even bringing them to uh, my job sites. They might not be able to hang around for too long because they start getting into stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they, you know, and like it was dope. Like it really hit me one day. I was in in my garage at my house, changing like a light um, on a ladder. My son came out. He's four. He came out and he said, "Daddy, when I get big, I'm gonna work with you." And <laughs> it's like. That like that really hit me yeah. more than anything because yeah, it's up. like you know this this my little dude you yeah. know like yeah. and he he want to do this he's watching me so it's bigger than me and yeah. I think that was instilled in me more most importantly by my dad like he always would say it ain't about your first name it's about your last name right right you know right, right. like I'm not doing this for me mm -hmm. you know he's like yeah I want to be in but. I want to see y'all go to college more mm -hmm. so, you mm -hmm. know, so mm -hmm. like I kind of let him down. I ain't get the degree, <laughs> but I think he's, he, I think he's happy with what I'm doing and where I'm right. at and what I'm trying to get to, you mm -hmm. know, because it's bigger than me, yeah. you know, and that's what I'm constantly thinking next generation, yeah. you know. Yeah, that, I mean, that that resonates with me. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'm about to have a son real soon, really at any day now. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But like one of the reasons for like starting this podcast, getting into the real estate space was all about think you know that foresight of thinking about like you know what comes after me you yeah. know what I'm saying like I didn't really have anybody that instilled the ways and the strategies to be able to like you know get into something to provide residual income and like the importance of that um, but now that I do have the information you know what I'm saying have the relationships you know what I'm saying? like people like yourself it's super important for me to try to instill that like I can't wait for the day when my son is like four years old and we can ride around, look at the rental properties. Yep. I can do exactly what you said, you know, yep. and really like just plant those seeds into yep. him early. Even if he don't get into it like full fledged, like I don't care what you do, son, get you some rental properties, do do right. something in the right. space. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Have something 
you know what I'm saying, in the real estate space, regardless, because no matter what you do, you there's real estate in everything, whether Absolutely. you got to live somewhere, whether you work somewhere, whether you're going to a basketball game, a football game, the doctor's office, any, so anywhere, it's real estate That's so true. E- everywhere, you know what I'm saying, so that resonates, you know what I'm saying, um, with me, you know what I'm saying, so I can definitely, you know, um, uh, uh, appreciate that. Talk to me about, like, how do you balance? Because, again, I'm getting ready to be a new father. I've mm-hmm. been married. It'll be almost two years, you know what I'm saying, in May. How do you balance real estate investing, family life, and having a full-time job? Man, it's How a do lot. you do that? It's a lot. It's a lot. But I think you got to just stay focused on why you're doing it and what's most important. Like, to me, you know, God and family is most important for me. So, like, I don't want to sacrifice too much of my time just solely – working on the rental properties because that's extremely important to me but my time with my kids is more important so i think when i was younger and i had you know i did more physically uh at my properties than i do now um unless i have to mm-hmm. like don't get it twisted if like i was t- talking about the deal in 2018 the duplex i did more at that house and i've done at any house because i had to at right, that point right, you know right but if it's up to me i'm gonna subcontract most of the stuff out and try and get it done within a um an affordable price point to where I can maximize my time with my family. And essentially I'm bringing them over, you know, my kids with me over to look at the property to check up on the work and make sure stuff is getting done the way it needs to be done and talking to them and letting them know why I'm doing this and you know, what's going on. So they're, they're uh, aware of um, what daddy is doing and you know, why I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me something that you may have done or learned as a kid um, that no longer serves you today. You know what I'm saying? Something that, you can look, you want to make sure that your kids do not do, you know what I'm saying? Something that you may have gotten into, you know what I'm saying? Back in the day, you like, all right, I'm going to make sure, you know, my uh, kids do not have to experience nothing like that. I think, man, just being on top of them about just making poor choices. Like okay. I made a lot of poor choices at a young age that just was unnecessary, mm-hmm. you know? And like I made shit harder for myself than what it really, <laughs> I needed to make it harder right, for myself. Right. And, and then once you, I, I noticed when, when you in a hole, it's a motherfucker di- digging out of that hole. Right. So right. it's like just being conscious of like just the poor decisions that you're making when you're making them. Because there's certain stuff you can't come back on, yeah. you know. And it's like, hey, mom and dad might love you, but you get yourself put in the box. They can't come and get you, you yeah. know. So yeah. like you just want to stay stay out of that. And I'm definitely, I think I'm going to be, my, my wife tell me I'm like overprotective. But it's one of those things where. I'd rather be overprotective than underprotective. Right. You know, I'm going to still give them their leeway to be who they is and do what they want to do. But It's your job to be on them. It's, it's my job to be on them. And mm-hmm. I take that serious mm-hmm. more than anything. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, 100%. I, I love that, man. Um, listen, man, I appreciate you. You know what I'm saying? So much. Not just for coming here today, but literally any and every time I hit you up, yo, I need, I need, I need you. Man, you always text back. You always like, yo, I'm free. Hit, hit me this time. You always there to give me some insight, some game. I really appreciate that, man. I tell Sierra all the time, listen, man, Marlon always there, you know, to give me, you know, the tutelage in the game that I need. And again, I wouldn't be in this space if it wasn't for you. You know, I wouldn't be interested in this space if it wasn't for you. I can specifically being um being twenty-five-ish, um, living with my granny. And at the time, like she had got sick, you know what I'm saying? And we were getting ready to set her house up to where she would have to have like around the clock care at, at the house. So I knew that, like, all right, I can't be here too much longer. And I was getting ready to come to you to go rent something from you. Mm-hmm. And I never forget, I asked, hey, man, do you think I should rent something or buy something? You're like, bro, real talk, 
man, just go try to buy you something. I said, yeah. man, what? He said, it really ain't that easy in the, re in the wrestler's history, man. So I, I appreciate you, you know, really kind of like sparking that in me yep. um, and continue to help me along the way. Um, one of my reasons for starting this podcast is just really try to highlight people that I know um, and really show why they're important to me and really just shed light on them. You Most know what I'm saying? Man. So I really, you know, appreciate you, you know what I'm saying, coming, coming you know, and, and doing this with me. Before we end, I got like... Five or six rapid questions I'm gonna ask you. <laughs> That's cool. Um, that I That's do to cool. everybody. Um, it's February. It's the start of the you know 2020. Still the new year. Do you have any intentions for the, for this year as a whole? General intentions. Um, just keep growing the rental portfolio. Uh, my goal is you know try and flip maybe one or two houses a year within that same time while still growing the rental portfolio. Uh, you know, up my savings, uh, pay down some more debt. It's it's a constant process. Like it it's not. All right, I'm here. You know, like it's it's constantly doing that. You know, so I think that's just staying in that mindset and just trying to be the best, you know, dad and husband I can be, and yeah. hey, taking it to the next level. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, that's that's, that's the goal, man. Yeah, that's dope. When you hear the phrase "live your purpose," what does that mean to you? Uh, live your purpose, man. I mean, I think people, certain people in life, is destined for greatness. Everybody has a purpose in life, um, and it's just for me, live your purpose means just reaching your full potential whatever your full potential is. Somebody's potential might be, you know, to be the best basketball player in the world and four-time NBA champion, whatever. Somebody else's might just be, you know, to be the best mom and dad you can be. Whatever your purpose is, take it serious and do your best with it, you know, right. because being the best mom and dad is just as important, if not more important, than being on TV. 100%. You know what I'm saying? You know, because you, you're shaping a life who – your, your kid might be the one who cure AIDS or cancer mm -hmm. one day. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, just whatever your purpose is in life, put both feet in the water and, and go as hard as you can. No doubt. No doubt. What's something about you that people will be surprised to know? Uh, surprised to know? I don't know, man. I'm an open book. Uh, <laughs> surprised to know? I'm trying to think. I used to hoop with LeBron back in the day. <laughs> okay. That, that, that's right. my fun fact. <laughs> okay. I tell everybody, yeah, I used to hoop with LeBron. I, I didn't go to St. V, but we was shooting stars back in the day. Okay. All right. And uh, the big homie, man, I can one thing I can say I learned from him is he worked harder than everybody in right. every practice, right. every game. Like, dude won every sprint. Like, and just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember being a little kid and seeing dude, Brian, and, and like, I'm like, man, how you get your, your hops? Like, dude just start dunking out of nowhere, like, cra like cramming on dudes. I'm like, what you do? You're like, man. I've been doing these calf races on the on the steps. Like I do at least 100, 200 a night while I'm going up the steps at, at Summer Lake. And that's motivational to me because yeah, I'm crazy. thinking like, you know, shoot, I ain't I don't live in Summit Lake, but I got the, the means to do it. He doing it because he half have to right. while he going up the steps every day. But like he take it that serious. And this dude win every sprint. Like he play harder than anybody else. And he way better than all of right, us too. Right, you know what I'm right. saying? So, so like, not only do we got the talent, but the work ethic. The work ethic, yeah, man. yeah. And I noticed that just with like successful people I see and encounter in life, they got talent too, but they work harder than anybody else in their respective field. Like they give 120 percent every time, anytime. Like, yeah. and that's what it takes to really move from here to move to there. Yeah, I had um I had Rome on the podcast. He was the last guest on the podcast, and that's one thing he said about Brown too. He like, man, people don't know that like. Brian's worth ethic is is nuts. It's, it's it's ridiculous. You know what right. I'm saying? And that's people who know him. You know what I'm saying? People who have had opportunities to really kind of get in this space, they echo that same thing. So you know what I'm saying? So that's so that's that's dope. You know what yep. I'm saying? To, to kind of hear. Um, what? Tell me something that scares you. Uh, failure, man. Okay. Failure is my biggest fear. You know what I'm saying? And when I say failure, I just mean let my family down. Like mm -hmm. I got little kids that depend on me, a wife that depend on me. So like every day, I feel like I gotta be my best. 
You know, you can't take no days off in this life. You know, yeah. it'd be days you feel like I don't feel like doing this shit. But if I don't do it, then who going to do it for me? Because mm. I know ain't nobody else going to do it for me. Mm. So, mm. you know, just and not living up to my potential. Because there's been a lot of times in life where I feel like I let myself down. Like right. I, I didn't give everything that I should have gave and the outcome could have been better. Mm. You know, so like I, to avoid them type of scenarios, just go as hard as you can. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I, I like that. Um. Tell me your favorite quote, scripture, or your favorite book recommendation. Um, I mean, books, book-wise, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, from a financial standpoint, that's a good one. Um, it's not a book, but I always tell anybody who's looking to get into, like, real estate investment, go on BiggerPockets.com. Yeah, BiggerPockets is it's, it's a it's gem. everything. Yeah. It's a gem. Yeah, like, besides just working in the industry, I learn more just... Staying up late at night and browsing these, you know what I'm saying, articles from people who really is doing the exact same thing in the same type of niche market that I'm looking at, uh, you know, applying my real estate skills to and just seeing what worked for them, what hasn't worked. Like, you really go get the knowledge is what I can say. Like, you know, in, in our podcast, I can't touch on everything, mm -hmm. but like the knowledge is out there. So just dig deep and definitely try and find it, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, that that's dope. Um, if you could pick up a, a, a phone and call your twenty year old self, what would you tell him? Um, twenty year old self, <laughs> quit chasing them girls, man. They gonna be there. <laughs> now, quit chasing them girls. Focus on you know, uh, your books. You know, maybe drop the major and, and go pick up a hammer. Mm -hmm. Like even if it wasn't uh, you know, in, in a trade ship. Hey, you know, it would it would behoove me to have picked up a construction job just so I could. I'd be further ahead now than I am if I would have done that. You know, mm -hmm. and just focus, man. Yeah. Like, my level of focus at that time, man, I was just trying to do everything that I, you know, just, right. just trying to live, right. you know. And it's right. like, had I had that, that level of focus then that I feel like I got now, I'd be further in life. And I think that applies to most people. So, 20-year-olds, man, keep your head in the books, whatever you're doing. Don't lose that. Don't get distracted because all that other shit is still going to be there. Right, yeah. Keep keep grinding, man. Um, what's the best advice you ever received? Um, best advice I ever received is just keep going, man. Yeah. Keep going, you know. You, it can always get worse. Yeah, you know, it can always be worse. It can you can always be more fucked up than you is right now. Right. Or you can you know put your nose down and and, and stick to your grind and and it can get better, you mm -hmm. know. And when it do get better, keep that same old, you know energy that you had when you was was fucked up. Right. You know. <laughs> right. For sure. I like that. On on that note, man, we gonna end it. Um. I end it the same way every time. Um, one of my inspirations for starting this podcast is Arian Foster. He used to play running back for the Texans um, back in the day. He actually started a podcast once he retired. And, like, one thing that he always does to end his podcast is he asks his guests to lobby for Jim Carrey to come on his show. Um, so one of the ways that I kind of, like, just pay homage to him um, and, like, you know, just put it, you know, manifest it, man. We're going we gonna to put it out there in the universe. I ask my guests to look at that camera right there and lobby for Arian Foster and tell him why he should be on the Live Your Purpose podcast. Uh, Arian Foster, you should be on a, you know, on a podcast for the simple fact that John is living his purpose. You know, he holding it down. Uh, he doing everything he can for his family to, you know, make a, a brighter future for himself. And he shedding light on positive topics uh, for the greater good of our community. So, you know, you, you put good and good together and you got great. Come on the podcast, bro. On that, man, we out. Darrell D. Cole, thank y'all, man. I am because we are. I cannot do this without my team. Good looking. Leave your purpose podcast. We out. We out.